John Cleese has been making us laugh for more than 50 years. Back in the 70s, he became a comedy legend in Monty Python and Faulty Towers, and he now has a second generation of fans discovering for themselves his unique combination of surreal humour, verbal pyrotechnics and farce. So much so that even now, as he enters his 80s, John Cleese is recognised in the street all across the world. And I know that classical music is actually very important to you, isn't it? Well, it is. And I remember that when my dad and mum gave me my first little gramophone with Mantovani's uh, various classics, what I found was that I was emotionally affected by that music in a way that I was never emotionally affected by most popular music. I'm not talking about those wonderful, wistful love songs from the 30s and 40s, which I found were touching. But by and large, for example, rock music does absolutely nothing for me. And I apologise, but I can't do anything about it. You know, I listen to it occasionally and I just think I'm not interested. Uh, but when I hear a bit of classical music, very frequently I am moved, and that's what I look for in, in art, is being moved. Mm -hmm. The first piece you've chosen is the Easter hymn from Pietro Mascagni's 19th century Italian opera, Cavalleria Rusticana. I think it illustrates what you've just been talking about, your emotional response to classical yes, music. Yes, I mean, I listen to this, it just goes straight through me to my core. And uh, I start, uh, probably start shivering. It touches me so deeply in a way that uh, most modern music simply doesn't. Jane Eaglin was the soloist in the Easter Hymn from Cavalleria Rusticana by Mascagni, Carlo Rizzi conducting the chorus of the Royal Opera House and the Philharmonia Orchestra. In some ways, John, that's a surprising choice, because it's certainly emotional and lyrical, but it's a hymn, and a lot of your comedy has rather tended to poke fun at religion, hasn't it? Well, I, I poke fun at organised religion. <laughs> it <laughs> yeah. seems to me that any religion worth its name is concerned with trying to reduce the power of our egos. Uh, it seems to me that's what the Beatitudes are about, you know, Blessed are the meek, or blessed are the peacemakers. You know, it's about the side of us that is not strutting around trying to be important and powerful and making money. Uh, but when it's a quieter matter and unorganized, and we are just dealing 
with the teachings of, uh, for example, Christ or Buddha, then I think it's extraordinarily important, probably as important as anything. Sorensen is Church of Scotland Minister in Greenock. Alan has given us permission to broadcast some of his short God spots, and today he asks whether Jesus laughed. I've heard it said quite seriously that because it tells us nowhere in the Bible that Jesus laughed or even smiled, then Christians should all be sober and serious. Well, it seems to me it doesn't say in the Bible that Jesus combed his hair or he spoke English or that he went to the toilet, but I doubt that many of us would stop doing these things. It's ridiculous when religion, and my particular brand of it, Presbyterianism, has had such a bad image. I mean, if there was one thing I would really want to convince you of, is that God loves you and that Jesus came to bring life in all its fullness. Smiling, laughter, it's at the very heart of faith. Go on, have a really great day. Smile, because the minister told you to. Jove, ail blessings to you. Toodaloo the new. Jeremy Irons has recorded the Psalms from the authorised version of the Bible. Today we hear Jeremy reading Psalm 106. Praise ye the Lord. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. Who can utter the mighty acts of the Lord? Who can show forth all his praise? Blessed are they that keep judgment 
and he that doeth righteousness at all times. Remember me, O Lord, with the favor that thou bearest unto thy people. O visit me with thy salvation, that I may see the good of thy chosen, that I may rejoice in the gladness of thy nation, that I may glory with thine inheritance. We have sinned with our fathers. We have committed iniquity. We have done wickedly. Our fathers understood not thy wonders in Egypt. They remembered not the multitude of thy mercies, but provoked him at the sea, even at the Red Sea. Nevertheless, he saved them for his name's sake, that he might make his mighty power to be known. He rebuked the Red Sea also, and it was dried up. So he led them through the depths, as through the wilderness. And he saved them from the hand of him that hated them, and redeemed them from the hand of the enemy. And the waters covered their enemies, there was not one of them left. Then believed they his words, they sang his praise. They soon forgot his works. They waited not for his counsel, but lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and tempted God in the heart. And he gave them their request, but sent leanness into their soul. They envied Moses also in the camp and Aaron, the saint of the Lord. The earth opened and swallowed up Dathan and covered the company of Abiram. And a fire was kindled in their company. The flame burned up the wicked. They made a calf in Horeb and worshipped the molten image. Thus they changed their glory into the similitude of an ox that eateth grass. They forgot God, their saviour which had done great things in Egypt, wondrous works in the land of Ham, and terrible things by the Red Sea. Therefore he said that he would destroy them, had not Moses his chosen stood before him in the breach to turn away his wrath, lest he should destroy them. Yea, they despised the pleasant land. They believed not his word, but murmured in their tents, and hearkened not unto the voice of the Lord. Therefore he lifted up his hand against them to overthrow them in the wilderness, to overthrow their seed among the nations and to scatter them in the lands. They joined themselves also unto Baal Peor and ate the sacrifices of the dead. Thus they provoked him to anger with their inventions and the plague break in upon them. Then stood up Phinehas and executed judgment and so the plague was stayed. And that was counted unto him for righteousness and all generations forevermore. They angered him also at the waters of strife, so that it went ill with Moses for their sakes, because they provoked his spirit, and so he spake unadvisedly with his lips. They did not destroy the nations concerning whom the Lord commanded them, but were mingled among the heathen and learned their works. And they served their idols, which were a snare unto them. Yea, they sacrificed their sons and their daughters unto devils, and shed innocent blood, even the blood of their sons and their daughters, whom they sacrificed unto the idols of Canaan. And the land was polluted with blood. Thus were they defiled with their own works, and went a-whoring with their own inventions. 
Therefore was the wrath of the Lord kindled against his people, insomuch that he abhorred his own inheritance. And he gave them into the hand of the heathen, and they that hated them ruled over them. Their enemies also oppressed them, and they were brought into subjection under their hand. Many times did he deliver them, but they provoked him with their counsel and were brought low for their iniquity. Nevertheless, he regarded their affliction when he heard their cry, and he remembered them for his covenant and repented according to the multitude of his mercies. He made them also to be pitied of all those that carried them captives. Save us, O Lord our God, and gather us from among the heathen to give thanks unto thy holy name and to triumph in thy praise. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. And let all the people say, Amen. Praise ye the Lord.
Ian Rose is in charge of Soundwaves Radio in Sussex. Ian introduces Mary Breeze, who talks about Easter traditions in Ethiopia. When I heard that Mary Breeze had worked in Ethiopia, I cornered her, and she kindly interrupted what she was doing and told me that in Ethiopia they see Christ's death and resurrection as far more significant than his birth. And as the country follows the Orthodox calendar, their Easter celebration is later than their European one. And the run-up to Easter is also different. Now, prior to the Easter weekend, there's Lent, which is celebrated in many different places. But for some reason, the Orthodox Christians observe a 55-day period of Lent, longer than ours. And during that time, no meat or animal products of any kind are eaten. And during Lent, most restaurants and cafes will only sell what they call fasting food, um, food which contains no milk, no eggs, no animal fat, even in cakes. They do special fasting cakes in the cafes, even in the modern days, but it's all without any animal products. And now with Lent behind them, The Easter celebrations start in earnest. Palm Sunday uh, is probably one of the first special Easter things that that, uh, is in the Orthodox calendar. And that is celebrated by decorating the entrances to their churches with palm leaves, which you can find in many areas in Ethiopia. And the children will make uh, rings and also tiaras, like headdresses, out of palm leaves and they will wear them on Palm Sunday. I remember being in Addis Ababa International Church one Palm Sunday, and the pastor had all the Sunday school children parading around the church carrying palm leaves during the singing of a Palm Sunday hymn. It's one of those experiences I've not forgotten. It was um, very much in honour of of what happened on that day. In contrast, Good Friday is a very sombre day, and many spend the day in church. Crowds will dress in their <coughs> white shawls and they will gather in the courtyard of, of the church and they will repeatedly bow down and prostrate themselves right onto the ground while the priests, also dressed in white robes, perform stately dances accompanied by solemn music and chanting. The main Easter Day celebrations for the Orthodox Church actually take place during the night running up to Easter Sunday, during which the worshippers will again prostrate themselves in confession for their sins. At about three o'clock, all return home to celebrate the end of the fast with a great feast. The Protestant celebrations will be somewhat different to the Orthodox ones, but even the Protestant churches will have um, all-night vigils. I remember being in a country location in Ethiopia once, um, being woken up at some unearthly hour uh, in the night, it was probably very, very early in the morning, by singers coming to my window and singing to me that Christ is risen. A bit like carol singers, but um, Easter singers coming around early in the morning with the news that Christ is risen. And um, when Easter morning dawns, Many people will obviously be be resting after they've um, spent so many hours of the night at church. 
but from late morning onwards the day will be full of rejoicing and feasting. Um, <clears throat> those whose families can afford it will be dressed in new clothes. I remember Sunday school children in Addis coming on Easter Sunday and showing off their new, new shoes or their new jumpers, uh, things given to them especially uh, in honour of Easter. There will also be church services um, on the Sunday, and this time the priests will be dressed in their most colourful robes. So for the rest of the day, families will come together and they will um, visit friends and neighbours. And one of the traditions is that they will take um, gifts of a special kind of bread around to, to their neighbours and, and socialise. And that is how they will celebrate Easter.
Larry and Judy Gentis have produced a series of talks about Bible characters. Today, Judy tells the story of Mary of Magdala. Jesus has a way of replacing chaos with clarity. I'll begin my story on how he entered into my life and how things have changed since. My name is Mary from a village called Magdala on the shores of Lake Galilee. Its name means Tower of Fishes and it certainly is that because that's the most important part of what is done here. Before I met Jesus, communicating was a problem. So many voices were clamoring to be heard and speak. It was hard to even focus my thoughts and everything I saw seemed to be confused and jumbled. It felt like I was drowning. I first saw Jesus teaching in Capernaum. When he was finished, he went around the people and laid hands on them and they were healed. He came towards me. I looked into his eyes and tried to speak, but it came out as nonsense. Other rabbis had tried before, but had given up. But he was different. He started to pray for me and ordered the evil spirits to leave my mind. While he was praying, it felt like brackish water was being poured out of my mouth. When he had finished, I no longer heard those voices that had been a part of me all my life. It wasn't easy initially after that. I had to learn who I was without the voices, as if I'd been reborn and had to learn to speak all over again. But I learned quickly, stringing together thoughts and words as I had never been able to before. I had a lot of help from people who followed Jesus, such as Joanna, who was the wife of Herod's chief steward. One day, Jesus started talking about going to Jerusalem for the Passover feast. Not only that, but he began to say, that he was going to be arrested, killed, and then raised from the dead. I don't think any of us believed it. He surely couldn't mean that and wasn't just going to give himself over. However, he would not be dissuaded from going to the very place which was the most dangerous to him. So I and many others followed him into Jerusalem, and true to his word, it happened just as he said. One of our own group, Judas Iscariot, went to the ruling council and betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. He gave precise information on where and when Jesus was to have some prayer time after the Passover meal in the garden called Gethsemane, which appropriately means the olive press. I thought surely they wouldn't execute a man who'd done nothing wrong. I was convinced this could not possibly happen. Our spiritual leaders were supposed to represent God. Well, I was wrong. They held a trial. It was nothing but a mockery of justice, complete with liars and perjurers, and deferred the judgment to the Roman Pilate, who really didn't care what happened or to whom, so long as it served their occupation of the land. This Roman condemned Jesus to be crucified, at the same time setting free a convicted murderer named Barabbas. And yes, I was present at the execution with Mary, his mother, among others. It was horrific, watching God's creation kill its creator. What do I mean by that? I had realized that Jesus wasn't just a man. He was God in the form of a man. But that's another story, and maybe I'll tell it another time. Despite my devastation that day, there was still something I could do. I watched them take Jesus down from the cross and followed to see where they would take him so that I could anoint him with herbs and spices. That was our custom. I was determined that they would not steal his dignity, even though they had robbed him of his life. They took him and placed him in a tomb on Joseph of Arimathea's land. So the next day, early in the morning, I went there with the herbs and spices. But the huge stone had been rolled away from the entrance. 
I went in and saw two men dressed in white seated on the slab where the body should have been. I had been weeping, and they asked me why. I said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they have laid him. Then I turned around, and there was another man, who I took to be the gardener, and he asked me, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? So I answered him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. He said, Mary, and suddenly I knew. Rabbi, said I. It, it was him, Jesus. He was alive. My, my joy was, well, I just can't describe it. I must have been beside myself because he then said, Stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father and my God and your God. I ran as fast as I could and told the disciples that the Lord had risen from the dead. He was alive and he had showed himself and spoken to me. Not all the disciples believed me, but two of them, Peter and John, ran as fast as they could to the tomb and found everything just as I had said, empty. I think everyone was trying to make sense out of the chaotic events of the past week. But when Jesus appeared, everything changed. He repaces chaos with clarity. And in this world that we live in, the clarity he brings is most welcome. This comes from the Gospels in the Bible. And the joy 
Yeah. 